The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Two thousand twenty-one, season two, episode one, beginning the new year with intelligence, customer experience intelligence. That is with a sensational guest, fireside chats without the fires. Co-host, co-creator Neil Toff, together with co-host and co-creator Paul Catherall, and our guest extraordinaire, first one of the year, <laughs> Jeff Bean. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. First hey. guest in this brand new year. Thanks for having me on, and and uh, let's hope that it's a it's a happy and and healthier new year for sure. 100%. Absolutely, happy healthy new year for all of us and for our audience. Audience, we love having you back. Thank you for being here. We have a favor to ask of our audience: if you continue to enjoy this content, hopefully you do. Um, we are so thrilled to be in front of you, to be in between your ears, and hopefully uh, helping you to think and provoking some constructive thought, and maybe even criticism at, at times. Uh, we want to ask you in a deliberate way, if you like our content, review us on uh, Apple Podcast and iTunes. Rate us, review us. On LinkedIn, kindly follow us if you're not already doing so. We want you to be deliberate. That helps us continue to build the brand, build our content and expand, and get uh, in front of uh, more and more people. Please help us out with that, and we promise we will do our job was to hopefully continue to produce sensational CX content. There, we said it. That was a mouthful. Paul, I think I got it out right. It was good. You did it well, mate. You did, you, you did it well. And you're right, audience. We really, you know, we really appreciate your feedback. And um, we've had what nearly 50 reviews on on Apple. Um, the majority of them are five stars. So thank you so so much for all that positive feedback. And we're really excited to be starting a new year with the podcast that Neil and I started, what, March of last year when we went into the first lockdown. So here we are, um, season two, episode one, with a wonderful guest and what promises to be a wonderful new year for everybody. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So let's let's jump right into customer experience Neil, intelligence. Jeff Bean. Yes, sir. Aren't you forgetting something? You haven't asked me how I am. Come Paul. on. On January 8th, season two, episode one, as you are on all Friday mornings on East Coast time, how are you feeling today? Mate, I'm buzzing. <laughs> I am buzzing. <laughs> Can't believe I'm, we I'm feeling the energy that, over the here. <laughs> Paul's it. buzzing. He gets he gets up for these and it's uh it's great to see his smiling buzzing face uh, as, as, we, as we get into these. So let's get back into it. Uh, we have, as I mentioned, uh, Jeff Bean. Jeff is a um, is a published author. He does lots of things. If you go to his LinkedIn profile, follow him if you're not already doing so. By the way, Jeff, just so uh, people know how to find you because the spelling of your name is a little bit unique, spell it for the audience if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Uh, the uh, first name is Jeffrey, J-E-O-F-R-E-Y. Last name is Bean, B-E-A-N, Jeffrey Bean. And, uh, you know, you can find me on Amazon and LinkedIn and, and a whole bunch of good places. Perfect. So if you go to the LinkedIn profile, um, Jeff, Delmar Research is his company, yep. which is customer experience training dash customer service training and consulting. And he is the principal. He also does a lot of other sensational things, uh, including he is an instructor at UC San Diego, 
um, of courses uh, around customer experience, and he is a published author of two books that have already been published. Uh, they are Customer Experience Revolution and Customer Experience Rules. And Jeff, are we allowed to mention the third one in the works? Um, yeah, you know, it's coming. We don't have a title yet for it. We got a working title, uh, but it, it, it's about um, customer experience transformation um, for all companies, all sizes, all speeds, how fast or slow do you want to go? And, um, you know, it's based on uh, really uh, the amount of customer experience intelligence you have, uh, given that you want to make a great customer experience. So, I'll let you know as soon as we got a title and a book, and uh, we should have that in about three months. But I'm doing it with Samir Asaf, uh, who is a published author uh, in, in uh, the finance area and and software area and customer experience area. And so um, we're real excited to kind of put together. I call it this great uh, Reese's peanut butter cup. You know, the the chocolate and the and and the peanut butter for this great great book. So uh, so uh, you know, I'm very excited about it. Perfect. So let's let's get into the first question. And the first question is a basic one, or at least it's it's on the surface it appears basic. We all throw around the term customer experience. We're all great at putting the hashtag CX and bantering yeah. about with this term that everyone is using. And my guess is that many of the people who talk about this don't know what the heck they're talking about. They think that CX is one thing or another, but often we work with uh, our own unique interpretations of that term. What for you is customer experience? Well, um, customer experience is uh, all the interactions people have on or off the internet with a company's uh, messages, people, processes, technologies, products, or services. And the other important thing about the definition, uh, Sean Van Tine and I reworked the definition uh, when we were doing the customer experience revolution was we put those interactions can be directly with those pieces, those messages, people, processes, technology, products, or services, or they can be about those pieces. And that kind of fixed it for us because that, that really solves the, really the reason why customer experience is much more important now is because of social media. So with is direct and about is they can have an experience about your company through social media. And then the other part is that for an experience maker, which is my nickname for companies who get it and, and create advocacy, uh, an experience maker company knows that a customer experience starts before there's money changing hands, where it's over 80% of the companies think, well, you know, become a customer of ours and we'll show you we have great service. And we're like, well, no, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is customer experiences, all interactions before you're a customer, while you're a customer. And hopefully if it ends well, it'll be end in advocacy. And then the other piece people are always confused about is user experience and user experience is inside customer experience. And it's when you're actually having the interaction using the thing you 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 actually had the, the customer experience for as well as you can have a user experience on a website so that's kind of the really the whole thing and and it, and it starts when somebody discovers the company and somebody would then advocate got it so what is customer experience intelligence we've just defined customer yeah. experience what the heck is intelligence well intelligence is um what 
kind of knowledge you have about how customers discover your company and all the interactions they have on and off the internet with you until they would become an advocate. And, and so this customer experience intelligence is about specific types of customers. Uh, some people call the specific types personas um, and, and also uh, the difference between a, a buying customer and a user let's say, because users aren't always the people who buy. So you've got, you've got customers, users, and then you've got um, influencers. And so how much intelligence do you have on the roles that the customers and users and influencers uh, play when uh, somebody discovers your company, and again, on and off the internet, and then has 20 or 30 interactions, or it could be a simple, short, uh, you know, journey with seven interactions. But, and then the other thing is, is, well, how do you get that intelligence? And how you get that is uh, most companies have a portfolio of inputs coming in. Um, words of the customer, what, what do customers say about the interaction, as well as the quantitative aspects of those interactions. Um, and you need the customer's viewpoint. And you have to be measuring what matters to customers. And uh, too few companies measure what matters to customers. If you were to think about how companies measure customer experience or measure anything else, and then ask their customers, do you care about that? Most of the time, no, I don't care about, I don't care about retention rates. I don't care about adoption rates. But what I do care is if I bought a suit from you, What's my time to wrinkle free if it was in the suitcase for, you know, 10 hours, you know, it was packed away when we used to travel. And, and so, um, so uh, some companies are really good at it and they have a multiple, uh, multiple number of methodologies in a portfolio that feed this customer experience intelligence. The, some companies don't have customer experience intelligence. And so they don't do really well when they're competing with a customer experience maker. Uh, but if a customer experience maker comes into their market, um, they're in trouble and uh, they have to get smart quick. And, and basically the result of being really intelligent about customers is being able to either fix, improve, or innovate interactions so that companies uh, will create advocacy with those interactions as well as high profitability. And so ultimately, um, what you want is you want to be uh, a, a smart, a, a really what that means is effective customer experience company by having a portfolio of intelligence coming in. You take this intelligence and translate that into insights. This, you know, we don't want it to be flat facts. We want it to be insights that allow you to make effective decisions about do we fix, improve, or innovate that interaction? And the intelligence is made up usually of uh, data and words, and the combination of information coming in is made up of a, usually about, we're talking about the most effective customer experience intelligence is about 20% thick data, which really means data and words you get from directly observing customers or directly interviewing them, because that's really the anchor for all the other data that could come in, the big data, the little data. Um, and, and by the way, most words that are posted on websites or left on recordings, that hasn't been turned into intelligence yet. That's almost an untapped frontier 
Um, and I've had guest speakers in my class at UCSD that have, you know, they're experts at turning the words that customers leave in all different places. They're experts in turning those into insights. So, for instance, you and I could decide, well, interaction number three, we need to, we need to improve that. Interaction number seven is working, but interaction number 10, we've got to innovate that. And then the other thing is, I, when I've interviewed great people at the customer experience companies, nobody has ever said to me, customer satisfaction has mattered in our innovation. What they go for, for each interaction, is they go for how can we create an interaction where there's a high likelihood that a particular customer type would advocate for our company, just based on that interaction. And you've got to do that at least 10 times in order to get an interaction, actually to, to really inspire uh, an advocate, you know, an advocate to, to really advocate for you. So there's a lot going on in that, this answer. So what I'm listening to is um, actually paying attention and having a voice of customer strategy. So uh, my guess is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this is taking data from customer satisfaction surveys. This is... Uh, culling uh, words and responses and data from reviews, um, culling recordings from uh, the call center and contact center and seeing what people are actually saying, pulling all that together, or maybe also including focus groups as well, so I don't want to leave out focus groups, but taking all the different touch points, written or verbal, and doing something with them. I think that's what you're, you're suggesting. Yes. And I wouldn't confine it to customer sat because you'll limit the effectiveness of your ability to create advocates. So add to that portfolio that you just mentioned, add in that I need customer direct customer input through either interviews or observation about the interactions they're having with my company. Because we don't want to leave out the most important thing is to have specific uh, direct human input for each of the interactions in the customer journey so that you can combine it with all of the things that you mentioned in an, in a, an objective way um, and then create insights for decision making about what what the customer is experiencing and and then you then you can set your goals for each interaction you know for e emotion or do for do to or how do I want to use the customer's time? Or how does the customer want us to use the time? And and so forth. So it, it What's really- What's an example of a company or, or a couple companies that are actually doing what you just described? I think many would say, yeah, yeah, we're doing that, of course. Voice mm -hmm. of customer and intelligence and analytics and the yeah. data mining. Many would probably say, we're doing it. Mm, what companies that are not named maybe Amazon or uh, you know some maybe Zappos in, 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 in yeah, Zappos, you know, outside of the, the top ones that we would naturally think about, mm -hmm. what could you point to as an example, a living example of great use of that type of data? Um, Intuit is a, a great customer experience company. Um, they consistently have uh, testing for user experience and customer experience. So they're getting what's called thick data directly from customers, but they also have uh, their own data, of course, because all, all businesses have the, their own data they have. But it's specific to the interactions and how it affects people emotionally and in time and economically and what I call, you know, what is that interaction doing for and doing to? Uh, another great experience maker company is USAA. 
okay? Um, service now, okay? A work day. Um, there's many, and I'm just naming the larger, more famous ones so that, you know, people can relate to sure. Netflix. Netflix, of course, Amazon, Apple, um, and, and there's more coming. Um, um, and I'd keep an eye, one to watch is Stitch Fix. Okay, that's a great customer experience company. And uh, th there's a whole bunch of them that are coming up that are small companies that, that really start in with, okay, uh, let's uh, be based on, on customer experience. Sensational. These are, these are great ideas and a great set of companies, obviously, that you name. By the way, Intuit is quite interesting because they're, they're the ones that are tax software. And you never think, well, that's such a boring thing, tax software. There's no, and what, 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 what can you really do and for, to make people's experience better when they're doing their taxes other than just pay the thing for them? Or, but you're right, right. I think there's probably a, a whole set of user experience data when they're using the online platforms as well as what it's like to be a customer. Right. As a matter of fact, Intuit uh, is really a financial services company that offers support with legal support or accounting support. And, and one of the customer experience best practices they use that other companies have copied is uh, they call it a follow me where uh, they go to where a customer uses their product and observe uh, their uh, usage of the product or how they interact with support, for instance. And so that's the thick data part of their intelligence portfolio. So, um, it's you know, to me, it's very interesting when you look at the best. Netflix does the same thing. Uh, Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos team does the same thing. Um, and you clearly see the difference in the levels of advocacy that these companies have by their installed base. 15, 20, 25 percent uh, levels of advocacy from their installed base. And of course, that brings their cost of new customer acquisition, marketing and sales down. And, you know, you know, the, the rest of the story from there. Sure. You've you've uh, in an interaction with Paul and with me, you described the CX4 of interactions. Could you tell us what the CX4 are and why they matter? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> That's a, that's a great question in that, um, you know, while I was working with many companies, as well as uh, having my students at UCSD do their own real uh, CX evaluations of ongoing businesses, what we, and this is, you know, we're into like a couple of hundred projects here, you know, six years later, seven years later, and then all my work in my career. And what you realize is that, first of all, a lot of companies don't get the words and the data from customers uh, along the entire customer experience interaction uh, journey from discovery to advocacy. But then when you look at a single interaction, you say, well, you know, we need to go inside that interaction so that we can develop better insights for our customers. And so the CX4 is the minimum <clears throat> you should understand about your customer in order to raise the likelihood that you're going to create an interaction, a single interaction that they would advocate the, your, their whole experience on. And so the, what we've learned is you, you, you want to understand the emotion of the customer, whether it's B2B or B2C. You want to so emotion, emotion is the first of the CX4, correct? Number one, emotion. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay. The, number one, emotion. What yeah. would number two be? Yeah. And emotion is a range. Number two would be what I call, what are you doing for the customer or doing to the customer? Because what I've found is 
and this is from the customer's viewpoint, wow, that interaction really helped me out. It really shortened my time to make a decision or it got me going again if it was through customer support or service. There's no middle in do for, do two. Um, and so customers are usually thinking, wow, um, I got on that phone and that really burned up my time and it didn't help me. That did something to me. And then, this, and then the next one is, what does the customer believe is the value of that interaction? So now we've got emotion, do for, and then the value. Um, sometimes I call it the economics of that interaction, um, but people sometimes would get that mixed up with the economics of the whole journey. And then the last one is going to be how, how did you use a customer's time? And so frequently, uh, you know, we'll ask a customer, was your time well used or not well used? And then always, we always ask why after they rate it. Because, you know, companies are often thinking about efficiency from their standpoint. But if you really understand a particular customer type, some customers are not just, uh, you know, a quick, uh, I just want an interaction, um, you know, transactional, if you will. Uh, you know, some customers want, want more time uh, on the website or on the phone or in person. And so their perceptions by customer type can change depending on uh, the you know, how they interacted with you and how well you understood what they like about using a lot of their time or a little of their time and what was the quality of that time. So the CX4, emotion, uh, you know, uh, our time, do for, do to, and the value of it. We find if you understand those four things about each interaction, both qualitatively and quantitatively from the customer standpoint, you're in a lot better position to create an interaction that people will likely to advocate on. And you've got sensational points. I, I love you, each of these emotion, time, value of interaction, and do for or do to. So it's do for, mm -hmm. you either do for or you do to. It's an either or statement. Yeah, it's an either or statement. I mean, because, you know, unfortunately, you know, we'd like to think there's a middle of everything, but what we find out is that people, you know, people realize uh, people, people's, uh, opinions um, and their views are the company uh, companies are either doing something for them or to them in an interaction. And um, I pointed out in the first book that a, a do for is something that you do for customers that they, they like, uh, you know, across uh, all of these CX4. I don't mention the CX4 in the first book, but if you're, you're, customers happy with the do for it, there means they're high willing to pay for it. You know, they have a high willingness to pay, but also a high willingness to advocate. Super. Uh, for those of us that are a little OCD and like things in multiples of five, I've understood there may be a fifth one. You can throw it out there. Tell us what the fifth one would be just for those that like the, like to have a nice round. Right. Well, multiples of five. For instance, if you're you're concerned about uh, patient experience in healthcare, the fifth dimension, obviously, it, would be a physical attribute. And so uh, are you uh, in still in pain or are you in no pain or are you healed? Or are you not healed? But if you're, for instance, in aerospace, there could be a unique attribute there. And yeah, you can come up with 20 unique attributes in any unique industry, but th this gets complex uh, and cumbersome very quickly. So what you want to do is pick what goes into your CX4 or your CX5 very carefully. Um, but I would suggest including at least the CX4. And if you add a fifth or even a sixth, 
do it carefully and it's very specific to your industry or product or service and 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 regarding the emotions inside the cx4 or 5 if you're a real great customer experience company you'll actually set emotional goals as outcomes for your customers what what how do we want our customers to feel after they've had that specific interaction got it you also talk about something called the out of the box customer experience and within this discussion i want you to shamelessly plug um something here you are allowed to do a very shameless plug be shameless and plug please okay well <laughs> you know it's really interesting to me and i think we've all had these horrible uh experiences trying to get something out of a box to work and i ended up uh, working with some companies where they had a whole bunch of returned inventory and their in the inventory was returned in beautiful condition and what we found out by doing customer testing um, and observing the what happens between the time somebody opens up a box and tries to get the product in that box, whether it's a standalone product or, or a product that is a vital piece of a service that they're going to have. Um, what happens to a customer from the time they get something out of a box till the time they want to have those do-fors, the, the reason why they, they bought that thing in the first place. And so what happens to you in time and emotion and, and so forth? Uh, you know, is it a child's digital thermometer, et cetera, et cetera. So what we started to do also is I've worked with companies on, on creating better out-of-box experiences for people so that they would advocate for the company because there's some really bad out-of-box experiences, but also included in the class that I teach uh, called the Customer Experience Course at, at UCSD, UC San Diego Extension. And what we do in that class is we actually compare, we take two competing products, let's say two heaters, two portable heaters that come in a box, and we have uh, attributes that we want to observe. And so we'll have a team that observes uh, two people opening the box and trying to get the heater to work. And sometimes they have to abandon the experience because it was impossible. Um, this happened also, uh, I can't mention the company's name that I was working with, but we tested all of their consumer healthcare products, uh, child's digital thermometer, let's say, or uh, a, a unique quiet fan or a simple box heater. And people would get this box heater out of the box, they'd plug it in and it would smell like burnt toast. But the product engineer said, well, that's only gonna happen for 30 seconds. Well, most people didn't wait 30 seconds. They thought it was gonna burn up, so they unplugged it and returned it. And we solved that problem by um, letting the customer know in the box, online, on the hard copy instructions, this is going to smell like this for like 30 seconds off. yeah all it was was the brand new coil coating burning off but instead 30 percent of the people who got the unit returned it and so uh so i there's some great out-of-box companies i mean you know you start thinking about let's say um uh linksys uh wireless routers for instance great out-of-box experience lego complex target market of young children and yet when you watch those children have an out-of-box experience they know amazon with the kindle great out-of-box experience it comes partially charged you put it in a little bit of information and suddenly you can see all your books and 
Um, and there's other great out-of-box experience companies, but it, it's probably less than 5% of all the out-of-box experiences. And let's face it, an out-of-box experience could be, let's say, five of 30 interactions a company has with your company. But what's really interesting is those could make or break whether a they would buy again or advocate for you and, and cost you a fortune in return goods. And so we found it, it tremendously fun uh, at, at UCSD Extension when we uh, have people in the class um, because in three to seven minutes, you can learn so much from observing what kind of out-of-box experience is somebody having. And, and uh, we've got a format, we've got attributes, and then we can, we've given companies recommendations. You know, you can run labs with this. It's, 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 very, it's fun and interesting, and it, it creates better experience for people and more profits for companies. So, you know, I, I, I encourage doing out-of-box experience purposely for a great customer experience. And you have a course coming up in April. Tell the audience just a quick snippet about when, where, how. Well, um, right now, uh, if you go online, if you just Google on the customer experience at uh, University of California, San Diego Extension, you'll come up to the link for the course. It's called the customer experience. It's about customer experience, leadership and, and best practice. And right now we're doing live Zoom sessions. And uh, what I found during this COVID time is um, I will be very generous with my time to have the one-on-one -on -one sessions, one-on-one uh, -on -one Zoom sessions that people need in order to be successful. Uh, because the, the course not only covers a lot of this stuff, the, you know, customer experience, intelligence, out-of-box experience, uh, measuring what matters to customers and more, but also part of the course is that each student do their own outside the class real customer uh, experience evaluation uh, of an ongoing business and make the recommendations of um, what to leave alone, what to improve, what to innovate. And we have them write up a report. Um, and most of the people who take the course, if they're working at a company um, or they have their own business, they do the projects on those companies. So the, I always say the realer the project is, the better you'll do. And then when they, they're done with the course, they can do this for real. So it's very practical, but very innovative. And, and it's my job to bring the best practices into the class from the experience makers um, and from my own experience and, and share that with my students. And we have students that are from uh, around the world take the course as well as uh, here in the US. So it's an interesting, the feedback I get is that for, the students who've ranged in age from like 20 to 55, they enjoy the fact that they're taking the, the course with students uh, from other countries and other businesses and so forth. So uh, we're starting uh, the next session, um, April uh, 14th, Wednesday nights, uh, Pacific time, six to nine, and there's nine sessions. And then if you need me for more one-on-one -on -one Zooms in between, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more than uh, generous with that uh, because we found out that that's what it takes for people to finish the course and be uh, very, very capable of doing customer experience evaluations, knowing uh, a whole bunch of very effective best practices and then being able to think about those and applying them to each interaction solution, all in the name of advocacy. Wonderful. Let's wind down. You've just given us a ton to, to think about. Let's um, uh, 
set the audience off on their way with what we do in our podcast, the final three, the last section of the podcast. Tell us what CX myth you would like to bust. There's so many that are out there. There's so many that were uh, forced to hear and listen to as you read LinkedIn and as you see stuff in the marketplace. What is a CX myth that you would like to bust? Tell our Set our audience straight. What is something that they think that really isn't all that, all, it's not all that it's cracked up to be? Well, at the risk of being run out of town, a lot of people, um, you know, are, their compensation is tied to customer satisfaction numbers. So um, I'm sensitive to that. I'm respectful to that. But the fact is, is that great customer experience um, is about creating advocacy, either with the whole journey or with with each interaction. And so what I've found from my own work, as well as interviewing many, many great people at the great customer experience companies, is that it's the goal isn't about creating satisfaction because satisfaction is not a predictor that somebody will actually advocate because satisfaction is something they might say, but it's not something they might do. But so what you do is you set your replace customer satisfaction with the goal of creating advocacy. And now you're, you're, you're operating at a higher level. Now you're operating with some of the best customer experience uh, maker companies. And, and, and uh, again, it, that's for a whole other discussion about, you know, the pluses and minuses of traditional customer sat. But the fact is, is um, w- when I've interviewed people about innovation, they say, we want to, we want to innovate customer experience interactions that cause people to advocate for us. And that's a, an active thing that you do, not a passive thing that you do. Jeff, you've made it very easy for us. You 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 just created the agenda for the second session. We're going to come back at some point. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about advocacy. We're going to get deeper into uh, the CX four and CX five, if you will. But these are these are great things that you're you're setting for our audience. Let me ask you the final two of this uh, this wrap up. Um, CX quotes. Yeah. You are obviously a very thoughtful person. You're well read. You've written. Um, you're paying attention to the marketplace and to what good companies are doing, maybe what bad companies are doing. What are two CX quotes that resonate for you that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, you know, I don't, I don't really have any fresh on my mind right now. I, I, but I would say this, that um, if you look at what Zappos has done, um, they, and this goes back to creating advocacy, they are all about creating advocacy with their customers and getting to know them. So to me, it's all about the advocacy. Um, and so I would say that. All about the advocacy. Right. And that's the, the quote in and of itself. And you just, that was your quote. It's all about the advocacy. The other one is, is Steve Jobs. Uh, and this is one I really like, which is we, we hire intelligent people to let them make the decisions and, and then uh, get those insights. And so for me, I, I, I think about intelligence as being effective in a particular situation. And so when I'm working with uh, people, I am depending on them and their expertise and their input. And so for me, it's that you have to be open to that input inside out and outside in and um, 
I guess one more, uh, when I was interviewing Larry Tesler, um, who is a fantastic uh, fellow, um, and uh, he said to me, uh, Steve Jobs always said, before you launch a product or a service, make sure that you get uh, the customer support right, you get the user experience right, and you make sure that you get the messaging right. And what Larry shared with us uh, at the time we interviewed him for the first book was, it wasn't that Jobs was trying to be picky. He was thinking that the customer was going to have memories and emotions about the experience they had using a brand new product for the first time. And so he's saying, get it as right as you can. So he was okay with slipping uh, the promised launch date if he could get it right, even though you, you can't get anything perfect, but get all of these things as right as you can so that the, the customer can have the best possible experience. And of course, now with the acceleration of social media, um, that becomes more important because they might use it once and then decide what to say on social media. And maybe with social media, you'll get a second chance and it'll grow and it'll be advocacy and, and maybe it won't. So I, I, I love the jobs, what Jobs said. This is great. We often find uh, some of the same people being quoted by our guests. I don't think we've had Steve Jobs uh, have a, a Steve Jobs quote before during this session. So it's nice to hear that. Um, and then I don't think we've ever had a guest create their own CX quote on the show. You just did so. Great well, way to start the new year. Advocacy is everything. It is. It, you know, it, 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 if you don't have advocacy, uh, how sustainable is your business? Exactly. Let's wrap up quickly. A couple examples of CX heroes, whether individuals or companies. Who would your, let's just say, top three be? I would say Larry Tesler. Once you get a chance, look him up. Um, unfortunately, Larry passed away last year, uh, but you want to look him up because um, most people might know him as the inventor of uh, cut and paste on the computer. Uh, oh, but yeah. Right, right. And, and But Larry is the fellow who worked with Steve Jobs. He also worked with Jeff Bezos to create the online shopping. You wouldn't have the great online shopping experiences you have today without Larry Tesler. I can't, there's not enough time in any session to say enough about Larry Tesler. And he was probably one of the best interviews Sean Van Tyne and I had for the, 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 the customer experience revolution. Then um, Don Norman, who is really a user experience hero, Donald Norman, because you couldn't possibly have a great customer experience uh, with an online interaction without Don Norman actually creating the terms of uh, affordance, which means are you able to find things online and user experience. And, and Don was also key in working with BMW, who launched the first heads up display because user experience and customer experience Generally, most of the people that I've spoke to in UX and CX, we agree that dashboards and cars are in the wrong place. You shouldn't have to look down away from the windshield while you're using the thing, you know, and so the idea of having a heads up display. And then lastly, um, uh, Richard Thaler, the economist, uh, the behavioral economist um, in his uh, in his great, uh, great books, he actually prove that behavior needs to be linked to economic models uh, so that they're more effective. And he says, hey, you know what? 
Um, guess what? A loss hurts twice as much as gains make us feel good. That's what his research said. This is a Nobel Prize winning behavioral economist. <clears throat> and so what that means for us in CX and UX is that you have to create some really great interactions, probably at a ratio of uh, three great interactions to one that perhaps does not uh, make people feel good in order to get people to advocate. And so that's Richard Thaler. That's a wow. lot. Audience, you have just heard a uh, plethora of suggestions, recommendations, um, insights. This, is, this has been uh, a sensational show. This is a hard one to summarize in just a very quick, catchy phrase because we learned about behavioral economics. We learned a little industrial psychology. We learned about advocacy. We learned about intelligence. We learned about the CX-4 and, if you will, CX-5. There's a lot to uh, consider, and, and I think you have provoked our thoughts and our audience's, audience's thoughts uh, in a very unique way. Jeff, you have been an amazing guest. We thank you. Uh, this has been a great session to begin the year with, and uh, we will commit to making sure you come back to continue these discussions. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, please make sure you uh, follow Jeff. Please buy his books. That is a, a shameless request from Paul and for me. Just buy them, not because we're telling you, just because it makes sense. You know, learn something. And look forward to his third book coming out. When do we think it's going to come out, Jeff? March, Three months, April. Four months, five months, what do you think? Yeah, March or April. You know, if things are going as they are now. We should be in the market March or April. And uh, and, and thank you for having me on uh, as a guest. And also thank you for your great questions and, and, and that. I, I, I appreciate it. Wonderful. Paul, how do we wrap up? What do we want to send Jeff off with and the audience with? Just to Jeff, you buzzing. Yeah, yeah. I am so much buzzing. It's, it, I don't have, really have the words. Jeff, you've been an absolute amazing guest. Um, I think for me, I've heard predominantly over the past couple of months the use of the word advocacy. Um, but I don't think anybody has really got their hands around it or was able to describe it as succinctly or as well as you have. So that's one of my big takeaways from, from this podcast is that um, I could not agree any more with your statement or your new hashtag that advocacy is everything. Um, very, very well put. You've been an absolutely amazing guest. I, for, I don't know if I'll be able to sleep tonight. I am that excited. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank well, you for your time, Jeff. You. You've, been, you've, you've been amazing. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I look forward to coming back and... Uh, Let's uh, have a great, great new year. Absolutely. Great new year full of CX intelligence. Audience, one final request of you, please give us a follow. Rate us on uh, Apple and iTunes podcast. Review us if you are so moved, and hopefully it's a favorable review. Like us and follow us on LinkedIn. And just look forward to our next episode um, as we continue to put out great CX content. Once again, Jeff Bean, uh, thought leader extraordinaire author um and i think now hopefully we can call him a good friend of, of the podcast absolutely, absolutely. Thank wonderful thank you jeff thank you Thanks. audience it, this is uh friday january 8th signing off fireside chats without the fires have a wonderful healthy happy and productive and intelligent cx intelligent new year
This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.